Today on episode 124, we're talking with Tom Harper about servant leadership. Yes, it's leading with humility, but it's also leading with great strength and how you need both in revitalization. That's today on The Reclaim Leader. Welcome to The Reclaimed Leader, a podcast by two pastors trying to lead their churches through revitalization and change. Their mission, to share their journey with you so it might help you in yours. And now, here, please welcome our hosts, Jason Tucker and Jesse Skiffington. Well, hey, everyone, welcome to episode 124 of The Reclaimed Leader, helping you lead change without losing your roots. I am Jason Tucker, here with Jesse Skiffington. How's it going, Jesse? Doing really well, Jason, and glad to be in the conversation with you again as we're talking shop and thinking leadership and leading change in the local church. So uh, looking forward to a, another good conversation today with our guest. And uh, why don't you inter- introduce our listeners a little bit to uh, Tom and um, the conversation we're going to be having today. Yeah, so I met Tom Harper. He's the editor and uh, really the kind of owner of uh, BiblicalLeadership.com, where um, I've been. I've contributed a couple articles. There's a bunch of authors who contribute great stuff, big time names like Rick Warren and our buddy Dan Ryland, Bob Weitzel, a lot of different folks contributing, and it's a great resource. Anyway, uh, I heard that he had just released a book. It's called Servant Leader Strong, and I picked it up, started reading it, and I just thought it was so good and reached out to him to see if he'd be on the podcast. So I'm excited because when we think about servant leadership, Jesse, I don't know, it feels like, yeah, I know all about that, right? Like, yeah, yeah, I get it. I, I know, servant leader, we hear it all the time, but it seems like in our conversation, we're able to really get to some, some deeper wells. Yeah, I think he kind of takes things to a little different place, talking about um, servant leadership, not as, as this sort of get run over um, a passive sense or something, but that in Jesus, we see proactive leadership. And there's some other things that we can attribute to a servant leader that are helpful to think about when we're, when we're trying to lead change in particular. And so I found our conversation really insightful and helpful and um, look forward to sharing that with everybody listening in. Yeah, sounds good. And um, man, so in real time, it's, it's Ash Wednesday night and we're recording this. Jesse's walking around his house with his iPhone. So what I love about this is just a reminder that we're just both two pastors navigating this stuff in real time. We're, we're figuring out how to help lead change in our churches, how to, how to make decisions that trend toward church health. And it is a never ending battle. And just when you think you kind of gotten there, it's like you're reminded powerfully. <laughs> <That's> that- right. <laughs> exactly right. Yeah. You still got a ways never, to go. It's an unfinished project and really, I mean, in some ways, once you come to terms with that, though, there's some some freedom. This is going to be a process that continues. Uh, there's not an arrival point. What matters is how do we approach our work as leaders? And I think this is really what we're drilling down on in this episode and think it's so, so good. So let's take a listen now with our guest, Tom Harper. Well, hey, everyone, we want to welcome Tom Harper to the podcast today. He is the publisher of biblicalleadership.com and CEO of NetWorld Media Group, the site's parent company. He's written several books, including the book that we're going to be talking about today, Servant Leaders Strong. And uh, it's got some great insights for a topic that pastors have talked a lot about, thought a lot about. But what I love is it really drills down deep into what it means to do servant leadership and to do it well, to do it strong. And so let's welcome to the podcast today, Tom Harper. Hey, Jason. Thanks for having me. 
So glad you're here. So how did you get started with biblicalleadership.com? How did that, that begin for you? Well, it started as another site many years ago. I partnered with a, um, an author and, and researcher named Tom Rayner. He became CEO of Lifeway uh, in 2006. And before that, we partnered up on a site called churchcentral.com. And then uh, when he went down to Lifeway, I wanted to change the leadership site to include kind of a broader spectrum of leaders, both in the marketplace, in ministry, parachurch, in, in vocational church ministry, and even just, you know, in families, in sports, military, a- anywhere that leadership was a thing, and that's everywhere, um, I wanted to try to inject biblical principles as much as possible. And I'm not the only one, obviously, but I, but I just saw really... You know, I was surprised that the domain name biblicalleadership.com was available. So that was kind of a uh, that was kind of a hint that I needed to go ahead and do something with it. And so that that has really been my passion for oh boy, probably 15, 20 years now. That's awesome. That's awesome. What's amazing to me are just like all the different folks who are contributing to it. I mean, I just think it's really cool. You got Rick Warren, you got our friend Bob Weitzel, friend of the podcast, Dan Ryan, yeah. you got like a whole a whole bunch of really great um authors and contributors. And I think there's, for any pastors that don't know about biblicalleadership.com, I do want to steer you in that direction of that resource because it's so, so good. But let's talk a bit about your book. I saw um, the title of your book. I was interested immediately and I started digging in. And I'll have to say this, it wasn't exactly what I thought it was going to be. And that's a good thing. Um, (laughs) That's good. Right? So (laughs) it's servant leader. And I think it's because when I see or think about servant leader and what that means, I feel like I already know what it means. But as I was reading your book, I'm like, I don't know that I've drilled down deeply enough into this idea. And maybe, maybe I have some room to learn and to grow. And I, I really found the book extremely helpful, uh, honestly. Well, thank and you. Yeah. So, so we hear about servant leadership all the time. What does it mean as you as you start to open the book? You you start right away with talking about how servant being a servant leader is about leading with humility, but but that would be the answer that I would think it, it would be right. Okay, yeah. humble being humble, but is there more to it than that? Yeah, I mean, I was kind of the same way you were. You know, I read a lot of business leadership books and church leadership books over the years, and uh, so many that talked about servant leadership and and. The problem with the secular servant leadership books is they took God out of the picture. You know, they they just talked about um, humbly serving, being humble, um, you know, treating everyone uh, like you want to meet their needs. And in the church world, um, it was it was a lot better, but it still it didn't go down deep enough, like like you were saying, you know. And uh, but if you if you rewind in history, um, servant leadership really became a thing in 1970. Uh, when Robert Greenleaf wrote Servant as Leader. And uh, it's just a groundbreaking essay, uh, mainly just because it introduced the term. Now, the concept had always been there since biblical times, you know, I mean, since Jesus himself. But then you fast forward, um, and Ken Blanchard's book, Lead Like Jesus, really captured my attention. And I think he captured a lot of people's attention, you know. Uh, But he helped servant leadership spread in the context of Christianity. And uh, he also caught the attention of corporate leaders as well. Uh, but then you come forward to more the you know 15 years later and you've got Harvard Business Review 
they talk about servant leadership all the time, but there's no mention of Jesus. It's, it's like, it's like Harvard and, and many others, Forbes and all, and all kinds of books have, have adopted servant leadership, redefined it, scrubbed it of any of the biblical underpinnings and represented it to the world as a new concept. And they just ignore where it came from, you know, and there's really, there's two verses that I, that I use at the very beginning of the book, uh, Matthew 23, 11, just simply says the greatest among you will be your servant. So right there, you've got, you know, greatness and servanthood together. You know, you've got strength uh, and servanthood together. Um, the other verse is Acts 4, 29. And it's simply, uh, now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. So, again, you have your servants, enable your servants to speak with boldness. And so there's this dichotomy that, that I've seen, that I've been seeing in, in the Bible that has really been fascinating to me that I didn't see really addressed a whole lot, um, even in Ken Blanchard's works and, and some others about being strong in your yeah. servant Yeah, because I think... Uh you know, just the idea of a servant leader, it feels like it's passive or it's like right. somehow submissive or I don't know if the word weak, but strong isn't what I think about naturally when I think of servant. I, I think of turning the other cheek and going the extra mile to wash the feet. And, you know, like that's what I think exactly. of. And, um, yeah. and I don't know why. I don't know why I think, I think that way. I think part of it is we've, be, we've been conditioned um, not just by the world, but by, by the church, you know, um, one of the, the central things that I remember from a lead like Jesus conference I went to in the early two thousands was a, um, an activity where it was really uncomfortable, you know, where everybody stood up. It was much worse than trying to greet strangers in church. (laughs) (laughs) It was, it was wash the foot of your neighbor Oh, oh man, that's tough. It, that's it was tough. horrible, but to <laughs> me, it, it, it was humbling. And so there was a lot of good in it, but what it did is it, it just drove home the centrality of the philosophy that um, servant leadership was all about in, in the Christian context. And that was to just bow down and wash their feet. And that's it. Um, and to be not subservient, but just to be, like you said, passive in a way. Um, to let someone else drive things and you serve under them. Um, and that's part of it. You know, it's, we don't want to throw that out, but it's just part of it. And, and so that's really what the book does. It just kind of delves into not just Jesus, but I mean, a lot of, of his ministry and, and his personhood um, and his Godhood, but also throughout the whole Bible, there's all kinds of verses and stories about being strong and courageous as you're being a servant. So you kind of mentioned, I want, uh, you know, about this idea of strength under control and this idea, I mean, so this kind of interconnected with this idea of kind of humility and knowing kind of, you know, this, this call to serve, but doing it from a place, not of passiveness or, you know, but of strength. So what do you mean by that? What does it mean to, to have strength under control as, as a servant leader? Yeah, Jesus was the perfect example of this restrained power. You know, he, um, he didn't start as, you know, this, this all powerful King. He started as a baby, like we all do very weak, very dependent, very helpless. And so he was the perfect example of, um, growing and, and starting with humble beginnings. 
In fact, he said in Matthew 5, he says, blessed are the meek, merciful, pure in heart, and the peacemakers. Mm -hmm. And so his brand of leadership um, begins in meekness and peace. And But then as he, he began humbly, and he maintained humility, but he also displayed this brilliant authoritative leadership that commanded respect. It stirred up thousands of followers willing to die for him. And you don't do that by... Uh, you don't do that without being strong and courageous and bold. Um, and the cool thing is if if we believe in him, we're promised that we're, we're going to do the works he's been doing and even greater ones. And that's from John 14. And Paul Paul said, and he he give us an example of what that, that looks like. He said, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was in me. Hmm. So while he was working, he recognized that this power, which was the grace of God, was working in him and through him. And that's what servant leadership was. It was him getting under the authority and um, and submitting to the power of God in his life and in his leadership, but letting that power of God flow through in its various forms and ways. Um, you know, even Paul later on in Second Timothy said to his protege Timothy, "You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Now, be strong in it." Um, you know, Matthew in Matthew twenty five, Jesus says. Um, when the son of man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. And then a chapter later, uh, it's the famous line about uh, calling down legions of angels. You know, he said, you know, don't you think I can, I can call my father and he'll at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels. So he knew what kind of leadership was required. He had power unlimited, but he chose to be a, a servant with strength under control. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. When I think about leadership, I think about leadership in the church and pastors as leaders. You, you definitely see, you see a lot of leaders who are strength and no control. And yeah. they, they kind of dominate their churches, which doesn't end well. And then you see leaders who have lots of control, but no strength. Mm-hmm. And, and that never goes anywhere. It's sort of like, you know, Jesus being the perfect embodiment of, you know, truth and love. It's right. there's there's a strength and control as well balance that's going on when it comes to being a servant leader. Yeah, I, I've really been been trying to to strike that balance myself, and you know, and as I've been exposed to more of these biblical concepts of servant leadership, I've been watching, you know, my pastor and and the other leaders in my church, and I've been I've been seeing various aspects. Uh, with with these people that I've really tried to adopt myself, but uh, but it really came about because I started recognizing these things. You know, after I yeah. knew that Jesus had this dichotomy of of strength and meekness and and power and control and servanthood and and courage, you know, I started seeing that in others, and I, I'm like, okay, now how are they handling this issue? You know, okay, they're actually they're doing it in a way that that doesn't. Um, come across as ineffective or weak, but they're being nice about it. You know, they're, they're gentle, but they're getting it done. You know, they're making a decision. They're, they're correcting a situation. Uh, and so that has really been helpful for me. Yeah. You know, um, as we, as you go through the book in, you talk about what are the things, you know, the things that get in the way of being servant leader strong, right? You talk, you list some things in the book and one that comes up is one that we all intuitively know, but I think it's worth drilling down on. And that is how sin, I mean, like as simple an answer as that is, 
I know. It, it's the answer it's that huge. we don't want to face. It's like the problem of sin because everywhere you turn, you see like moral failure or problems of these high profile pastors that we've all looked up to. And it's like, what the heck? How do these ridiculously smart, genius, incredible, strong leaders, how does it sneak up on them like that? I mean, I know <laughs> it, you know, um, sin just wages this war on leaders from all sides, you know, mm-hmm. personal sin. And you've got this list. We've got uh, things like bad character, pride, lying, adultery, lust, stress, fatigue, impatience, bitterness, jealousy, you know, Galatians five, you know, the, the list goes on. And, and it's not like we don't know what these things are. It's not like we're not even familiar with them in our own lives, in our own selves and leadership. Uh, but, you know, we, we can't let down our guard because Satan even uses these things to get a foothold. Uh, now, the problem with leaders is that we're able to hide a lot of these sins from the outside world. Um, you know, when secrets aren't confessed or to the Lord or to others, they can fester and grow and deepen. There was this pastor I, I heard about, um, he had an affair with his executive pastor. Um, she was, she was with him for several years and people in the church could not figure out what was going on. They didn't know what was going on with them, but there was something in in the air, in the culture, the church wasn't growing. There was division, you know, there were, there was all kinds of negativity and nobody could really put their finger on it. But when it came out, what was happening Suddenly, everyone got it, and they knew why they were feeling the way they were feeling. Um, and James tells us how this happens. He says in, in the first chapter of James, he says, But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. So hmm. that pastor's secret sin had burned away his conscience. Hmm. He got away with it for years. I mean, it was just an amazing story. Uh, and he just didn't feel like there was a need for him to repent and flee from it. And he just kept hiding it. But when that happens, and you have to be even just a pastor, you can be any kind of leader, whether in the church or in ministry or in business. But unconfessed sin has so many consequences. You know, it removes God's hand of blessing. Um, it creates that spirit of discord and pride and negativity I was talking about. It destroys marriages. People sense it. Uh, it, gives this, it gives a foothold to the enemy. It opens us to attack. And we don't yeah. even know how or why we're getting attacked. Um, and even our family can become vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And the danger is, is even greater, though, than that. Because um, in Romans 2, Paul says, God will judge men's secrets through Jesus Christ. So God sees them now, and, and, and he, they're not secret from him. They don't just ruin our leadership, but they bring this extra level of judgment from him. And, uh, and so that to me is scary and it's it terrifying. Actually, it is. <laughs> and, you know, it, it made me, um, years ago, uh, it, it, it really helped me to see a sin in my own life that was affecting my family, my leadership, just my kind of, uh, personality, just, you know, I could sense it. And it wasn't until after, I went through a process of confessing it and, and reconciling and really just repenting with the Lord that, you know, after that, I just felt this wave of, of forgiveness and weight off my shoulders. And it allowed me to lead with, with a, 
warmer heart toward people, you know? Yeah. And almost, you know, because when you've been forgiven much, you love much. Yeah. yeah. And, and that good. helps, helps us lead, lead better when we love better. Yeah. I think there's, there's something in leadership when we're willing to admit our failures, our weaknesses and, in, in appropriate ways of disclosure with the appropriate right, folks right. and things like that. But there is some freedom for us in that and an experience of, of the grace that God gives. And, um, and we can, we can actually lead. I think and this is, I'll speak for myself. I can, I can lead out of that weakness because I, I lean on the forgiveness, the strength that I get from God yes. because of that. And that I think is, you know, having the, the willingness to, to risk that sort of vulnerability and leadership to own that stuff and to confess it and to, and to deal with it so that you can lead uh, from your weakness to strength. I mean, I think that's, that's what the gospel is about. So um, I think that's really crucial for us. You know, I've, we've talked about on here before and I don't remember who first said it, but as leaders, you know, having people in our lives that will question our character, that will be in it with us to kind of process through the junk that inevitably comes because um, I don't know, like you said, as leaders, we're, we're particularly vulnerable um, and maybe how are in a position to be able to hide in ways that maybe others don't always face or something. Yeah. So there's some big challenges related to it. I think. I, th- yeah. I think too, as pastors, you know, at least my experience has been, it, it can feel lonely because you don't feel like in, in the groups of people that you're interacting with in the life of the church, you don't feel safe to even confess some of these things because you're the uh-huh. pastor, you know, you're the, and, and so the default is, well, we don't have time to go find some outside group to go talk to. And then it right. kind of goes undealt with and we compartmentalize and, and it just kind of, you know, erodes from there. It, yeah. Does. Yeah. it does. And I think it extends beyond just even sin. And, the, and, and that's certainly part of a big part of the conversation, but just the trauma, the stress of leadership and some, if we don't work through that stuff in light of God's love and grace for us and, in the context of community with other people, man, it's, it is isolating. It is lonely. And it, and it's a weight that's too big for us, honestly, as leaders. And so, um, I think there, there's strength in, in owning our own weakness and, uh, that's crucial. Yeah. yeah and, and giving it to the Lord. Absolutely. And, yeah. and yeah. having it replaced with his strength. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So, Let's shift a little bit. There's, I mean, there's so many topics in this book that I think are, are really great and worth considering. You actually cover a lot of ground. Um, so you talk a bit about how leaders, to really be strong servant leaders, when you're planning for the future and, you know, kind of, I mean, this is 2020, right? Everyone had a 2020 vision statement, you know, mm-hmm. on, the, on the wall of the last 10 years, right? How, how should leaders plan with the future. You say, you say talking about planning with an open hand. What do you mean by that? Well, um, and it's really summed up in this one verse in Proverbs 19. I mean, by the way, I love Proverbs. Uh, I've read that's the book of Proverbs so many times and it has filled me with so much wisdom. One, one of the verses I love is 1920. It says many are the plans in a man's heart, but it's the Lord's purpose that prevails. Yeah. Uh, and so the thought, behind that for us is planning is good, but remember whose plan you're actually going to follow. You know, uh, let's not be so proud of our plans. And well, mine sounds so good on paper. Yeah. I know, I know, you know, 2020, the year for clear vision and our plan is this, and we're going to, you know, uh, but when we wait on the Lord to accomplish something, um, we know that the timing is going to be perfect if, and when he does, it, you know? So if we plan, Sometimes the uh, the what 
is the right thing, but the when is not. You know, his timing might either be sooner or later, um, but sometimes his, you know, his timing is our timing, but the what is different. So there's different aspects to plans that can change. Like, for example, sometimes I wonder if I am doing enough to grow our company. You know, I, I'm in, I have a media business and we're, we publish news and information for bankers and all these other websites in addition to the biblical leadership side. And so when I look at the whole company, I'm, I'm wondering, am I wasting time, you know, on this project or that project? Do I need to be bolder? Do I need to work harder? Do I need to risk more? Do I need to pull back and let other key leaders do their jobs? And every leader asks self-critical questions. You know, some of the answers are obvious, um, but even then we don't see God's complete purposes and plan, even when we pull back, you know, but he wants us to trust him along the way because he says, you don't even know what will happen tomorrow. So how can we plan, you know, (laughs) James four, strategic, he says, strategic planning basically needs to have a loose grip. You know, that's, that's what James is telling us when we say, you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. How how in the world can you plan for, for down the road? And so I'm keeping in mind when I plan with an open hand that there's no wisdom, no insight, no plan that can succeed against the Lord. And a man's steps are directed by the Lord. How then can anyone understand his own way? Yeah. Uh, there's a proverb after proverb is yeah. uh, really appropriate. And that's, there's a huge step of trust that has to happen there, right? Because as leaders, we're, we have vision, we have direction, we get passionate, we want to move people and we want to have a plan. We want to have something to say when we're in front of a group of people and leading. We want to cast charge. a vision. Yeah, we want to get going. And so, I do think that how do, you know creating a culture of that open handedness and saying, you know, but we're open to God's course correction at any point on this stuff. And we, our ultimate goal is to go the direction He wants us to go and and, and to be effective for His mission and ministry. And so that's what we're about. And we think this is the, the way that that we're, we should be going now. But we're going to keep listening. Isn't um, it weird that that we're yeah. supposed to plan? Yeah, like <laughs> he wants us to plan and count the cost That's and right. pray and ask for his guidance, and then the Lord just does what He will, you know, what yeah. He wants to. Yeah. Somehow, our plans factor in to yeah. what He does in our lives and in the lives of people. So it kind of fit together yeah. that open handedness, but leading with direction and. Um, I love that. I think that's another one of those tensions you're talking about. How do we, yeah, how do yeah. we live that out? Well, it's good stuff. You, so speaking of vision, you, you said something in the book and dude, this was hard to read, man. I was like, <laughs> I was like, what, when it comes to vision, you say sometimes the leader must cause division. And I'm thinking, yeah. I'm like, I know that's true, but I can't just everybody agree with my awesome idea. <laughs> and like, can't we just all get on board? Can't all the haters stop hating? Like, but, but you bring up a really good point that it is the reality that leaders will cause division. That, that is something that sometimes must happen. Can you say more about that? Yeah. It, talk about tension, man. I, I, this is one of the ones I've really struggled with personally as a leader um, because, you know, I, for many years I led in this environment that was, where I was surrounded by these very charismatic, strong leaders. They were anything but servant leaders. And I I knew all about servant leadership at the time. And I'm like, how do I be a servant in this environment? You know, and then, uh, and then the years pass, I became CEO. And now I can see how that can happen when, when the, 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 the leader, the top leader is doing this with the biblical 
uh, philosophy, you know, behind it. And, and I think Jesus really nails it with Luke 12, 51. He says, do you think I came to bring peace on earth? No, I tell you, but division. I mean, that's the yep. one that rocks our world, right? <laughs> I mean, it's like, well, wait a minute, you're the Prince of Peace, you know, peace on earth. Uh, you know, I mean, it's just, how, what in the world? Yeah, I thought you were this, this benevolent, gentle shepherd. And there's, there's this other side of him that's encapsulated in that verse. Uh, but I just hate to cause pain, you know, um, yeah. in, in my own leadership. And, but Jesus in, in the gospels, he fought the Pharisees. He resisted the Romans. He, but he hated that part of his job. It hurt him as well. But he knew that in order to bring about unity, he had to first root out the, the chaff. Um, and in Luke 6, man, he shows a shocking side of himself. He accepts this dinner invitation at a Pharisee's house. But instead of like graciously accepting the hospitality and having a pleasant evening with his host, he insults the man. And, um, and then at, at the table there, reclining with him is this, this expert in the law. He says, teacher, when you say these things, you insult us also. So he's insulting everyone, um, but, and, but Jesus doesn't smooth things over. He goes on, he says, and you experts in the law, woe to you because you load people down with burdens they can hardly carry, and you yourselves will not lift one finger to help them. Um, so Jesus had made mortal enemies, literally mortal enemies in that encounter. So let's, let's kind of pull this back into our lives, this concept. You know, um, Jesus had a risky confrontation. And we can look at his example and, and ask ourselves, what is to be gained from any risky converse, you know, conversation and confrontation? Uh, you know, what benefit can we see uh, from differences with the people we're close to, you know, even when we kind of stir up those differences? Hmm. And, but there's power in the after the differences. So what I mean by that is like reconciliation, if you, you know, whoever's married in your listenership here will know exactly the power of reconciliation. You know, mm -hmm. you, you have a, uh, an argument and you make, make up and you feel closer to your spouse after that than you did beforehand. And, um, and so there's relationship benefits from confrontation, from, from difficulties, it even strengthens and, and deeper intimacy results. Uh, and so Though the dinner host that night went to bed insulted at the dinner party, just think later on, what if he medit meditated on Christ's words and reconciled with God because of that confrontation? Mm -hmm. You know, there are so many people that were enemies. We were all enemies yeah. of Christ before, of, of God's before we were saved. Uh, but, you know, this, this law of leadership is dealing in truth. You know, and if that truth insults someone, we just, we can't shrink back, but if that's not to say we're supposed to lord it over people or, you know, we're not supposed to be all truth and no love, you know, like yeah. I think you might've said earlier. Uh, but if there's a truth that has to be dealt with, that has to be expressed, I need to do it in a loving way, but I still need to express it. I still need to deal with it. And that's, that's necessary for the health of an organization. Sometimes that causes um, a big division, you know, a, a big rift. But if I do it just to create a rift, that's one thing. But I, if I create the rift in order to grow and strengthen the whole, that's quite something else. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. that's hard, but sometimes that is a good thing to do.
That's right. And and when you're leading change, inevitably you will face times where a decision that you make as a leader or a oh, leadership yes. team is going to cause heartache and heartbreak and division potentially, but it's not division for division's sake, like you said. Um, but you're not also, you're not maintaining unity for unity's sake on the other side by not dealing with what needs to be done. Right. With. That's a false so, unity. Yeah. Almost. Unity on the far side of struggle and working through and pursuing God's vision for, for you or the organization or whatever. That's, that's the kind of unity we're after. That's true, deep, lasting kind of stuff. And so, yeah, the wrong, yeah. the wrong unity is more like a collection of, of puzzle pieces grouped up in a pile. Sure. You know, they're yeah. together, but they're not, they're not all connected. Not together. You know? <laughs> yeah, that's a good image. I like that a lot. And I do think there are times that you're, you're spot on in our leadership where we, we are the ones in that unique position where there's some hard things that maybe need to be said or addressed or brought up, or uh, maybe it's, it's um, uh, kind of a last minute discernment of we're, you know, we need to pull the plug on this. We put a lot of work in, but it's not the right thing. Yes. I, I, you know, I'm sorry about this, but this is, we need to not, we can't keep going forward. And man, those are some hard, hard things that we face as leaders and it's going to hurt feelings. It's going to cause bumps, but, um, that's, you know, leading from a place of humility in that, but also strength. I, I think is a spot on stuff. Yeah. 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 You use the, the image in the book of the gentle warrior, which I love. I love that because yeah. it's, that's exactly <laughs> what you're talking about. Right. So it's, it's strength and servanthood. It's again, it's truth and love. It's strength under control. It's all those things. I mean, I think that's, that's a really great, great idea. The gentle warrior. Well, I just, I, I love the, um, the picture we get that uh, of that several times in the Bible. And, you know, I'll, I'll just go back to Proverbs. I, I love the way the message paraphrases Proverbs twenty five fifteen. It says patient persistence pierces through indifference. Gentle speech breaks down rigid defenses. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you have this, this dichotomy again, two sides to the coin, you know, um, gentle speech breaks down rigid defenses, you know. Um, in fact, in the NIV version, the first part of that verse says, through patience, a ruler can be persuaded. And, you know, many leaders striving to serve discover there's a strength in patience and gentleness. You know, the art of servant leadership is really kind of hinges on like how and when we, we apply restraint, you know, we remove restraint the right time we apply it. And we really just learn that with experience and, and reading the word and, and, and watching others. Uh, we're never going to achieve that perfect balance of being a gentle warrior, but we can work hard to build gentleness into our personality. Um, Jesus showed what us, what this looks like in Luke 19, when he entered the temple and began to drive out the people selling animals for sacrifices, you know, he, he used force to great effect as he sought to bring peace into the temple of the Lord. You know, people didn't know what kind of peace he was talking about and how in the world could this be a peaceful thing to do to throw the tables around and kick people out. Uh, But the moment required a violent disruption of the merchants taking advantage of God's people. And you know, we can use force to bring about God's peace, but it has to begin with that foundation of gentleness. Uh, Ecclesiastes 9.17 says, the quiet words of the wise are more to be heeded than the shouts of a ruler of fools. And, you know, gentleness is complicated in leadership. Uh, but I'll tell you a quick little story of my, my experience. You know, um, I didn't know that I was living this, this principle out in my younger years, but it's turned into an illustration that I think has been helpful as I've looked back on it. 
but I would be in, in management meetings and, you know, it was the kind of management meeting where the, the big wigs would hit the table and shout and lord it over people. And, you know, and every now and then, and, and I, I was one of the senior leaders, but there were three of us and, and the two, two of them were an older generation than I was. And so they had just a different style. And it was hard for me to, to, to seem I was like a senior leader because I was so much younger than they were. Um, but there were times I can remember when I got so steamed up about something that, that they were doing it and it was so wrong. I could see how wrong it was. I couldn't contain myself. And suddenly I just had this burst and I hit the table one time and the whole table just kind of stopped and stared at me like jaws dropped. Like, you know, I know, I know they were thinking, who are you? You never do this. And I saw how effective it was. And I parked that in the back of my mind. And as the years went by, I, I let that come out at strategic moments when I thought it was appropriate, you know, not in a way to, to be dismissive or harmful or abusive toward people, but in a way to make a point and break through the ridiculousness of, of the egos and, and the emotion and the heightened, you know, debate was swirling around me. And, and I think people knew that when, when I got that way with them, they knew it had gone too far. <laughs> um, but I just think that passion, when it can come out sometimes, is like a, um, a warrior with a sheathed sword, you know, standing there and holding a baby. And then suddenly, you know, a vagrant runs by and steals something and, and the warrior hands the baby back to, to the mom and dad. And runs after this vagrant, this thief, pulls a sword, and everyone just holds their breath because the warrior is about to strike. And, and, you know, or a warrior, you know, in attack mode on the battlefield in the same way. You know, they, they've kitted and joked together as, as, you know, their unit, and they come up to the front lines, and they, they turn into something different because the moment requires that. There has to be this strength display. Hmm. So that's really the picture that I was, I was going for. That's awesome, Tom. Well, hey, everyone, the book is Servant Leader Strong by Tom Harper. I hope that you get it wherever books are sold, right? Is that kind of the idea? Pretty right? much, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, Which uh, is so, Amazon. That's wherever. That's where books are sold, right? That, right? That's right, Amazon. <laughs> and then, because um, they need more publicity. Yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> and uh, Biblical Leader, Leadership, um, another great resource, biblicalleadership.com. And Tom, how else can people kind of follow you and, and track with you if they want to get more information? Uh, I, I think uh, LinkedIn is probably a, a really good way. I, I'm on LinkedIn a lot. Uh, you know, I don't know in, if what you guys think, but in the, in the leadership world, I found that when it comes down to LinkedIn, I see that more as, as a, you know, a business environment. You know, yeah. they used to say like Facebook was the you know, the frat party and, and Twitter was, was at the bar, you know, everybody's a little older. And then LinkedIn was, you know, the reception hall, you know, everybody's <laughs> wearing their, their suit. Um, but so I, I would say LinkedIn is a good way to connect with me. And I just would also recommend that as a great way for you know leaders to get connected. Yeah. It's good stuff. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for being with us, Tom. I really appreciate it. All right. Thank you guys. Well, Jason, uh, really fun to have Tom on, and it's really, clearly he's a guy that's passionate about leadership, and uh, not just the local church, but it, it, in a kind of across uh, industries, and, and anytime he sees leadership, he wants to set people up for success, and that's really what the conversation was about. What is a biblical picture of servant leadership, and 
uh, kind of wrestling through that. And we landed or we got right kind of toward the end there talking about um, sometimes a leader uh, has to bring something to the table, a topic, a conversation, a hard conversation maybe, or um, a moment that's going to cause some division. What did you, what did you think about that, that in the context of leadership? I mean, it's something we both experienced and um, it can be one of the harder places to be in leadership. Well, this has come up a lot in the last, you know, year and a half that we've been doing this podcast. And that is, you know, I th- I'm just quotes are coming to my head, like Max Dupree, the leader's job is to define reality. Um, the whole idea that, you know, you got to face the scale if you're going to be able to do anything about it. You got to face things as they really are. And if a leader's job, we talked about leader's job is to build urgency, build a sense of urgency. You don't do that without making at least people uncomfortable and sometimes, yes, causing some division. I think it's whether or not it is coming from a place that is this, it's always weighing, is this God's idea to do? Is this, you know, am I speaking the truth and not speaking it in love? Or is this just the natural consequence of what I'm talking about? I mean, this is, it's like a, a constant balancing act, I think. But an important one to try to navigate because it's true. It's like sometimes the division has to happen before you can get to the peace. That's right. Yeah. Ha- people have to see yeah. how bad things really are, or how things really are. Good stuff, man. All right. Hey folks, uh, keep working, keep getting after it. And uh, I hope, I really do hope that this, this helps you, that it's helped you with thinking about your leadership, how to be a servant and to be strong, to know that it's not synonymous with weakness, uh, that you could be humble and you could be, um, bold at the same time. I think that's an important tension to try to manage. So uh, keep at it and may God bless you in all you're doing. And we will catch you next time. Hope this has helped you to lead change without losing your roots. Thank you for listening to Reclaimed Leader. Join us next time for more insights, interviews, and resources to help you in your leadership journey. 